Hi everyone, this is Brant Van Rokel, lead pastor of Christ City Kitsilano, and I want to let you know about a couple of things. First, if you're not a part of a local church, let me invite you to join us at Fifth Avenue Cinema on Burrard Street at 9.30 a.m. We meet every Sunday morning for worship, word, and sacrament, and we'd love for you to join us there. Second, if you are new and you want to get connected, let me say welcome. Christ City Church Kitsilano is a neighborhood church committed to making missional disciples for the sake of the neighborhood. If you want to hear more about what God has called us to here in Kitsilano, then please reach out to me at brant at christcitychurch.ca or you can visit christcitychurch.ca slash Kitsilano. Today's scripture comes from Jonah 1 verses 1 to 3. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. And this morning to introduce our uh, Jonah series, which we are beginning, we'll go for the next six weeks. Um, we are having Jonathan Ng, one of the elders here at Christ City Church, uh, to, to bring the word for us. And Jonathan and I are the elders of Christ City Kitsilano, and it's my joy to, to welcome you, Jonathan, um, to lead us. So I'll invite you to come up, and um, as we begin, if I can pray for you, sure. um, that'd be great. Uh, Heavenly Father, I want to pray for my brother Jonathan, that you would bless him, that you would speak your words through him. Uh, that you would work in all of our hearts, Lord, to hear from your word and um, to see even incredible and surprising things that we did not expect in the book of Jonah and that you would minister to us in that way. We ask this in Jesus' name and for your eternal glory. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Brand. It is a joy indeed to bring God's word this morning uh, to you. Uh, just before I do that, uh, I just want to briefly announce that it is actually my mom's 75th birthday today, and we've all seen how great the Lord has been at work in her life, and I just hope you all get a chance to encourage her this morning. Well, if you have your Bibles, please turn to the book of Jonah. We'll be looking at that this morning. Indeed, this morning I do have the privilege of introducing the book of Jonah to all of us, this new sermon series on the book of Jonah. And starting this week to the end of October, we are going to examine this unique book in a lot more detail. Now, the book of Jonah is unique. It's unique not only because of its story, but because most prophetic books of the Bible record a prophet's message. That is the words of God spoken through the prophet. But the book of Jonah is different. Rather than being primarily a record of Jonah's message, it's a narrative of his experience. In other words, it's a book about Jonah who was a prophet of God. And because of this uniqueness, we are invited to participate in a way that's different from other books. We are invited to participate in a way that's different from other books. More on that in a minute. Now, Jonah's experience takes place within a biblical and historical context. Jonah was probably the first of the 8th century uh, writing prophets around the time of 780 B.C., 
One other important reference to Jonah, the son of Amittai, is found in 2 Kings 14.25, which places him during the rule of the northern Israel's Jeroboam II. His contemporaries were Hosea, Amos, uh, Isaiah, Micah. Hosea emphasized the love of God, Amos the righteousness of God, Isaiah the holiness of God, and Micah the leadership of God, and the book of Jonah primarily reveals the compassion of God. It provides an important balance in these prophetic messages. Geopolitically, there was a lot going on as well. Israel was divided. And to the east, the Assyrian Empire, of which Nineveh would become the capital, um, sorry, to, to the east was Nineveh, which, uh, uh, of the Assyrian Empire, where Nineveh would become the capital. The Assyrian Empire covers what is roughly Syria, uh, Iraq, Turkey, Kuwait, part of Iran today. Nineveh is located in what would today be northern Iraq, near the city of Mosul. I think there's a map for you. Now the Assyrians were known particularly for their cruelty and wickedness. Nineveh represented both the greatness and the terror of this Assyrian Empire. Archaeologists have uncovered many large stone wall panels with carved uh, contrasting reliefs of grisly post-battle scenes. Likewise, written descriptions of post-battle tortures were preserved on obelisks, cylindrical pill pillars like this. Some of these descriptions read like an R-rated movie. We are in a movie theater after all. <laughs> of uh, live dismemberment, of stretching live prisoners with ropes so they could be skinned alive. One description boasted of a king flaying the skins uh, from nobles who had rebelled against him and draping their skins over piles of corpses. It's really gruesome stuff. They would cut off the heads of fighters and build a tower before their city. Another described an Assyrian soldier grasping the hand and an arm of a living captured enemy whose other hand and both feet had already been cut off. And so uh, to call Nineveh a great city and to describe it as evil is really no understatement. It was really these two things. Enter Jonah and God's call to go to Nineveh, this great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before God. And Jonah refuses. And with that, the stage is set for one of the most dramatic narratives in the Bible. In fact, so dramatic that Jesus himself would reference it later as a sign. Now, for some of you, this story will be very familiar. Perhaps you grew up in church, in Sunday school, and you've heard the story of Jonah many times. But for others, it may not. Maybe you didn't grow up in church. Well, today is your lucky day because we're going to spend a good chunk of the sermon reading the entire text. And then I'll conclude with some uh, pastoral comments. But as you're listening, I want you to pay attention to three things. Three things. First, notice the ironies, the ironies in this text. 
nothing is as we would expect. You've got on the one hand Jonah, God's prophet, and he's supposed to be a man of God, and he's grumpy, <laughs> he's disobedient, he's rebellious, and he's just this kind of reluctant fellow who runs away from God. And then you've got sailors, pagan sailors, who seem to fear God more than Jonah. Remember those evil and wicked Ninevites I just talked about? With all their pride and all their wickedness? Well, they immediately repent. And Jonah, the man of God, whom you would think would rejoice at the Ninevites' repentance, he's angry and bitter. And God, the righteous, just God, who clearly lays out like his standard, right? His standard of righteousness, the consequence of sin. He relents and he does not destroy the evil Ninevites. It all seems upside down. So please pay close attention to the ironies as we read this. The second thing is, take note of the main actor. Now this is particularly for those of you who might have grown up in... Sunday school and have heard the story of Jonah read and taught many times because oftentimes Jonah is taught as if Jonah is the main actor telling us his moral story and of course principles and morals are derived from Jonah's story to avoid being eaten alive by a giant fish don't run away from God Jonah becomes this prophet that we observe, that we judge, that we hold up as a counterexample of faithful obedience. Often principles are derived that center on action, like obey, evangelize, forgive, be compassionate. Now, in one sense, these are, are true. It is not less than these. Uh, we are, of course, to obey God. Of course, we should do what he calls us to do. We must love our enemies. Jesus said so himself. We must forgive and be compassionate. But might I propose that the main actor is not Jonah in this story, nor is it the Ninevites, nor any other smaller character like the sailors. Rather, the main actor is God. In fact, the ironies in the story are actually meant to help us see that. God is the sovereign one who is in control. And he is carrying out his redemptive plan despite all of the comedies of man. And Jonah, the sailors, Nineveh, Israel, they're all objects of God's activity. And when we see it like that, the main point of Jonah also becomes clear. You see, we take our eyes actually off of the individual characters and our kind of couch theologian judgment of them. <laughs> Look at him. <laughs> and we see in stark contrast God's abundant compassion for them, despite their flawed character. You see, the main point of Jonah is not about how Jonah should have obeyed. It's about how God displayed his goodness by continuing his redemptive plan despite Jonah's disobedience. It's no coincidence that the story of Jonah begins with Jonah running away from God's plan and it ends with God fulfilling his plan anyway. 
But if you're like me, this way of reading Jonah is actually quite uncomfortable. It's quite disconcerting. You see, rather than it just being a seemingly fantastical story, we are called. Uh, it's this fantastical story that we are called to kind of observe from afar. We are called instead to participate in it, because we recognize that we too are objects of God's activity, of God's action. We also are part of God's story in a very real world, in a real world that He created and that He redeemed. And that's the third thing that I want you to pay attention to. As I read this, consider how the story of Jonah holds up a mirror to your own life and calls you to participate in that grand narrative. Of God's redemptive plan. Remember that God's word is never designed to be just passive. We're never designed to just read it and kind of observe it from afar. Nor is it just designed to tell us a moral story. Rather, Hebrews four twelve reminds us that the word of the Lord, the word of God, it's living and active. It's sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and of discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So, are you ready to read with me the living and active Word of God? Now, the Word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, and so he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish. Away from the presence of the Lord, but the Lord hurled this great wind upon the sea. There was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. And then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to their God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship to lighten the load, to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship. And had laid down. He was fast asleep. And so the captain came and said to him, are, "Are you kidding me? No, no." He says, "What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish." And they said to one another, "Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us." And so they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And then they said to them, to him, "Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you?" And he said, "I am a Hebrew, 
I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. And then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up, hurl me into the sea, and then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them, and therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. And so they picked up Jonah, and they hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. And then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit. O Lord my God, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah up onto dry land. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. And so Jonah arose 
And he went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breath. And Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. And then he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people in Nineveh believed God. They believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth, from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne. He removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. And let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them. And he did not do it. Oh, but this, it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, and slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? So Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant, made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it's better for me to die than to live. 
But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 people who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. This is the word of the Lord. The story of Jonah, it ends with this hanging question from God, doesn't it? It's unanswered by Jonah. It's intended to be quite disconcerting, but it makes us reflect. Its goal is to make us reflect. You see, if we accept that God is the main actor here, then the story actually ends precisely where it should, highlighting God's character and actions. This discomfort serves a purpose. It compels us to confront our own attitudes about God's character and actions. Do we believe these truths about God? Do we believe these truths about God and how shall we respond? This series, this Jonah series, will give us an opportunity to consider these questions in detail. But just as a teaser, as a movie trailer, let me just highlight highlight three of these truths and offer you a taste of some of their implications. You ready? The first, the, the book of Jonah reminds us that God is sovereign. We can clearly see that God is the one who is in control over his creation, over the seas and the dry land, all throughout this narrative. For example, the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, chapter 1, verse 4. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, chapter 1, verse 17. The Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out onto dry land, chapter 2, verse 10. The Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, chapter 4, verse 6. God appointed a worm that attacked the plant. God appointed a scorching east wind. God clearly can and is in control. And this is an important truth to remember. We are not masters of our own fate, nor are we mere audience members to God's grand redemption stage play. Rather, we are on the stage participating in God's grand redemptive plan where he is the sovereign one who is in control. But it's not enough to believe that he's in control and that he's sovereign. After all, authority and control can be abused, right? A robber entering your house, carrying a gun and holding a gun to your head is temporarily in control. But that does not mean that his control is for a good end. Yet God is not like that. And so, in fact, the second thing that the book of Jonah tells us is that God isn't just sovereign, but he is good. He's so good. And in the book of Jonah, his goodness is expressed through his compassion and his mercy. 
You see, the Ninevites were clearly evil and wicked. You heard some of the accounts. And yet, unlike Jonah, God's primary heart toward them was not to destroy them, but to warn them that they might repent. I mean, just think about it, right? If God had merely just wanted to destroy them, why, <laughs> why go to the trouble of Jonah? Why not just annihilate them? gone, right? It was because of God's abundant mercy that he gave them every chance to repent. And even Jonah admits this in chapter 4 verse 2 when he concedes that he ran away because what? Because he knew that God was a gracious God. That he was merciful. That he is merciful. That he's slow to anger. And he's abounding in steadfast love. Jonah ran away because he knew God's character and he disagreed with the implications of what that meant for his enemies. And the lesson for us is, is this. You know, we can wholeheartedly trust in God's goodness as demonstrated in his mercy toward us. Although we have sinned, although we were once enemies of God, God in his mercy and his compassion, he made a way for us. He said, though you are an enemy of mine, I'm going to send my son to love you, to live among you, and to die for you. God sent his son, Jesus, to die for the sins of who, those who were once his enemies. Not only did he do that to make a way for you, he then wooed us. He drew us. He drew you toward him in order that we might have every opportunity to believe in his goodness. You see, if God were just sovereign and just but not good, he would just judge us purely on our merit. And I'm afraid to say that every one of us, as an enemy of God, would get what we deserved, which is death. Have you ever told a lie? Have you ever sinned? Have you ever done anything to fall short of God's glory? And we all have. And we all, therefore, have sinned against God. We all have become enemies of God. Apart from his mercy, we cannot have a relationship with God. We deserve, we, we get, we're going to get what we deserve apart from his compassion and mercy. But the good news is this. But God, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespass, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And this is indeed good news. So good that it can even be offensive because it challenges our own sense of justice. 
right? Jonah himself was appalled that God would show mercy to his enemies. And if we're really honest, if you live long enough, there are moments when we consider certain people beyond redemption in our own lives due to their actions, due to their sin against us. And like Jonah, we are confronted with our own position before God. You see, what Jonah failed to realize was that his heart was just as sinful and just as rebellious as the Ninevites. And until he did, he could not be merciful. God pointed out to Jonah how he was quick to excuse his own heart, feeling sorry for himself and presuming to know better than God. In contrast, the Ninevites, they recognized their desperate need for God's mercy. Though Jonah understood God's goodness, he presumed to be wiser than God. He wanted to be the main actor. And that's the tension in this story, isn't it? The story of Jonah serves as this powerful reminder of God's goodness, that God's goodness is neither reluctant nor is it begrudging. In fact, God's goodness is an inherent part of his character. The New Testament apostle Peter reminds us similarly, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. That's from 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. My friends, this morning I encourage you to heed this call to find mercy in Jesus Christ through repentance and belief and to embrace this unchanging goodness of our gracious God. The book of Jonah finally reminds us of one more truth, and that is God's ultimate goal is his glory. God's ultimate goal is his glory. You see, we must trust that God's sovereignty and control and goodness expressed through his mercy are aligned for this one single purpose, his glory. God's glory was on display when the Ninevites turned from their wickedness and sought his mercy. But his glory is also displayed in what seems to be adverse circumstances for Jonah. While some may interpret the fish swallowing Jonah as punishment, say, for his disobedience, that wasn't God's primary intent. Instead, God used the fish to place Jonah exactly where he needed to fulfill God's redemptive goal and bring him, bring God glory. Jonah asked to be thrown overboard and reluctantly the sailors, the sailors complied, knowing that it meant almost certain death. But the fish was God's divine means of salvation, both in saving Jonah's life and as the instrument to send Jonah to Nineveh to lead them to repentance. Even Jonah saw that in the prayer in chapter 2. Despite Jonah's selfish disobedience, God still used him and his experience not only to advance his plan of redemption, but to paint this beautiful, beautiful picture of the gospel. 
And this picture of redemption, of the gospel, it would last through Jesus' time to our time, even to this morning. You see, my friends, <laughs> we fight God too. Like Jonah, we foolishly think that it's better to flee God, to run, to escape to our comforts. We hide when we sin. But when we take refuge in God through Jesus Christ, even in our mess and in our sin, he shows his glory through us, just as he did in Jonah's life. After all, it was in the middle of Jonah's mess and sin that he cried out to God and God saved him, used him. God glorified himself mightily through this redemptive act, through this imperfect man. How encouraging that our sin and our rebellion can be redeemed by God to write this beautiful story of grace that exhibits his goodness. And the invitation, therefore, for all of us, for each one of us, is to admit that we need him, to admit our mess, to admit our sin, to cry out to God in our need, and to trust him with all of the results. He'll use the mess in your life. He used the mess in my life. He used the mess in Jonah's life. And he'll make something beautiful for his namesake. You know, friends, I am really excited about this Jonah series. I hope you're as excited as I am. There's much to glean from this unique book. And we are going to have a whale of a time. I know that might sound a little bit fishy for some of you. Maybe you're even tempted to have Nineveh. And these puns just want to make you vomit. But hey, hang in there. Just don't hang on to that plant. It's going to be a fun ride because God is in control. And he is good. He's compassionate. And he's merciful. And you thought you could get away um, for once listening to my sermon without puns. Let's pray. Father God, it is so good to be in your presence because, yes, you are sovereign and in control, but you are also good. And you seek to glorify yourself through us. We are humbled by that. Father, would you give us the faith and the courage to humbly turn to you in faith in all of our suffering in all of our, our sin in the mess of our lives to fully wholeheartedly give it to you in trust knowing that you are able to redeem all of that for your good for our good and your glory thank you that you have done this and that you've made this possible through your son Jesus Christ and in, in his name we pray. Amen.